If you're here for the first time and we haven't met, my name is Mark, and I get to serve as one of the elders on staff in our church, and it's my privilege to bring the sermon this morning. We are, uh, as Rob mentioned a few minutes ago, we're restarting our series in Galatians. It's been six or seven weeks since we had the last message there, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to just sort of reframe uh, for you or reset for you um, the text of scripture that you're about to hear. So I'm going to just give a couple introductory words about that. Then we'll hear the passage of scripture and then I'll uh, sort of have an introduction for how this, this message relates to where we are at the beginning of the year and coming into a week of prayer and fasting as well. So we're in this uh, series, Paul's letter to the church's uh, that's called Galatians. It's a letter to a, a group of churches in a, in a region in modern-day Turkey that was at the time called Galatia. And what happened was uh, the Apostle Paul and some others had gone into this area and they were talking to people about Jesus and people came to faith. And churches were started. And uh, so they left. And uh, not too long after they left, they, sometime in the first year or two of these, these young churches just getting started, some other people came in and they began to teach a different gospel than the one that had been brought to them by God through the Apostle Paul. That what they began to modify and change was this idea of being saved by faith alone. And they said, look, faith in Jesus is great. Keep that. But in addition to that, there's some other things you need to do to actually be in a right relationship with God. And in particular, all these Old Testament laws and rules like circumcision and keeping the Sabbath and following all these dietary laws, all these things, you need to do those things as well. Well, when the churches heard that message, unfortunately, they began to believe those lies and that false gospel. And so this letter then is, a, is an effort, is a response to try to set things straight. So the way the letter to the Galatians goes is the first two chapters, which we've heard in the fall, those are largely Paul's autobiography. Now, why is he talking about himself? Because he wants to make sure that people understand where he gets the authority that he has and where his gospel comes from. So that's kind of the first couple chapters, and it ends with this uh, uh, statement of justification by faith, being coming into right relationship with God by faith in the end of chapter 2. Now, where we stand today, the beginning of chapter 3, chapters 3 and 4 are largely theology. They're explaining this gospel and this idea of being justified by faith alone in Christ alone. And then chapters 5 and 6, they're going to be application. They're going to be ethics. So what does it actually look like to live by faith, to live this life out? So that's sort of the layout of the book. So I wanted you to have that uh, uh, sort of as, as, a, as a reset, even if you were here in the fall. It's been a while, and you may not have been here. You may uh, be, be newly coming. And so this morning, we're in Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, and Rachel's going to come and read that for us now. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1 through 9. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? 
Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Thank you, Rachel. Let's pray. Oh God, as we assemble here on this first Sunday of 2024, we thank you for the blessing that's come to people like us through Jesus Christ. We thank you that we have come to know you as our God. And we recognize that we need you. We acknowledge in this moment of prayer, in this assembly, in the hearing of your word, that we are humbly dependent upon you. And we pray that you would fill us with your spirit. And we pray that you would put Christ before us so that our, the eyes of our hearts might freshly behold him in his glorious life, death, and resurrection. And we pray that you would empower us to live by faith for the glory of your name and to go into our world proclaiming this good news so that others and the nations might become glad in Jesus Christ. For all these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So as we gather here on the first Sunday of 2024, you may be experiencing that sort of jolt that often happens after the holidays. Are you, are you experiencing any of that yet? You may be back to work, back to school, looking at the bills from the holidays. Uh, and, you know, the, there's this seasonal nature to January. People are making plans, right? Plans to exercise more, plans to rest more, plans to have a dry January, plans to lose weight. And you may find yourselves in situations where coming out of that sort of holiday season, you're in these situations where so much attention is focused on your performance, on your work, what you do. You're in situations where your grades matter or sales goals or credit scores or contract proposals or grocery budgets, all these things that are related to the things that we do. And then you assemble here this morning and Pastor Mark says, okay, we're going to talk about living by faith. Well, how does living by faith connect with the working world that we can spend so much of our time in? So the reality is, these aren't two disconnected things, and church isn't just something separate from the rest of real life. Faith doesn't eliminate work. Actually, faith puts work in its place. God is a worker, and we're made in his image, and we're redeemed by the work of Christ, and so we too are Workers, but work is always downstream from faith. Got to get the order right. Why is that? Well, the reason is because our moral efforts, our work, can never be good enough to make ourselves acceptable to God, and our work will never be good enough to, to keep us growing in godliness left to ourselves. And so, 
That's actually what we heard when we left off in Galatians back in November. There's this wonderful verse, chapter 2, the second half of, of verse 20 says this. And the life I now live in the flesh, in the body, just like us, this is Paul writing. He says, I live by faith in the Son of God. How is the Christian life lived? I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's the gospel. There's the good news. This is how he's come into a right relationship with God. This is what he has believed that's become so transformative that faith is now the primary lens through which he looks at and lives out his life. And remember, as he's writing this, he's doing works. He's writing a letter to churches that are in trouble, working to try to get them back on track. So work isn't opposed to faith at all. But faith puts work in its place. So the Christian life is one of faith. How can we stir up faith in 2024? How can we walk by faith and live by faith and grow in faith in this coming year? Well, the wonderful counselor, as we went through the Advent series in Isaiah, we saw that Jesus comes as the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father and the prince of peace. And in his extravagant and wonderful wisdom, he has wisely and providentially placed this text in front of us for the beginning of this year. And I think it's wonderfully kind and loving and wise of him to do this because this passage of scripture can help us stir up faith for whatever situation you're in and for whatever comes to us in the coming year. So how can we stir up faith? That's the question I want to pose as we come to this passage. And we're going to see an answer in verse 1, an answer in verses 2 through 5, and an answer in verses 6 through 9. How can we stir up faith? First is this, feature what does that mean? I'll explain as we go. Feature Christ crucified. Keep your Bibles open as we go through this and look back at verse 1 with me. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Who has bewitched you? So what he's Saying to these people, this is obviously a rhetorical question. He's saying, look, you're, you're living as though someone cast a magic spell on you and has now gotten you to believe a different gospel. How in the world could this happen? Back in chapter 2 and verse 16, in the last sermon we had on this before we took the Advent break, he put that marvelous, wonderful gospel succinctly before them and he, in, in, in what he says in 2.16. This is like the bullseye for the letter. Here, the, here look, look, if you've got your Bibles open, look there or you can look on the screen. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, how's a person justified? Did you get it the first time? If you didn't, Say it again. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Did you get it yet? Okay, in case you missed the second try, let's loop back a third time because by works of the law, how many people will be justified? No one. Zero. Okay, is that clear? <laughs> have we got it? Justification is the heart of the gospel. 
The only way to come into right standing with God, to be justified, to be right with God, isn't through your moral effort, but through the finished work of Christ and putting your faith in that. So in a sense, you are saved by work, but not by your work, by trusting in the finished work of Christ. Now, verse that verse that we just looked at, chapter 2, verse 16, as I said, it's like the, the center. It's like the bullseye in a target for this letter. Chapters 1 and 2 are sort of leading up to that. And the rest of the letter is going to be unpacking that. What does it mean to be justified by faith? How does that work? And, 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 and what does that actually look like? And why is it true? That's going to be unpacked in chapters 3 and 4. But the first thing he says, look back at verse 1. He says, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now, what does this mean? How can he say this to these people? They live in what's modern-day Turkey, far from Jerusalem. These are, most of them, not Jewish people by background, so they wouldn't have been in Jerusalem when Jesus was crucified. How can he say that before their eyes, right in front of them, they saw Christ crucified? What does he mean when he says this? Well, this is, this is a really powerful statement because what he's saying is the message they heard wasn't just information about the Jesus of history. And the message they heard wasn't just biblical principles for how to have a good and happy life. But the message they heard was the news about the finished work of Christ on the cross where he made atonement for sins. And this message wasn't just some information that they received and did nothing with, this information, this news came to them and it reached their hearts. It was before your eyes. What he's saying is, it's as though you were there in Jerusalem seeing Jesus hanging on that cross. And I wonder, have you had that experience? Can you say that? And as they saw as the Spirit of God worked through the preaching of the gospel, they began to understand, oh, just like we sometimes sing, sing, it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Do you know that? That's the best news ever. And that news isn't just information. That news is transforming when it gets into our hearts. They realized that their sin was so bad that it cost the Son of God his life to redeem them. And they realized that the love of God was so great that the Son of God would come and give his life, not just for somebody out there, but for them. He loved me and gave himself for me, Paul writes. Can you say that? You know, it's possible to know a lot about Christ, but not know him personally. It's possible to have a sermon where Jesus is mentioned, but the gospel, the saving work of Christ, isn't presented. What we need, you 
and me and the Galatians and every other believer. What we need is a fresh, regular, ongoing vision before our eyes of Christ crucified. How can we see this in 2024? We need this to stir up faith. Well, on behalf of the elders, I promise you that if you gather here on Sunday mornings, we will feature Christ in all his glorious saving work on the cross, in the songs that we sing, and in the sermons that we preach. And if we lose our way in that, please let us know. Because we want these services to be filled with opportunities to freshly have put before our eyes Jesus Christ in his saving power. And I want to encourage us as a church to do this for each other in community group. Come find and look for some way to bring the good news of Christ into your conversations. As a community group leader, I try, I have a mental checklist that I, I try to make sure that by the end of the meeting, there's been some sighting of Christ in his saving work, some gospel connection to what we've been talking about. Sometimes I, f- I forget, I lose my way, and we need to help each other as we have conversations, as someone's stuck in sin, as we're at a community group or an RGCU class or a Bible study, and parents in particular, I really want to encourage you. This is part of your mission in discipling your kids. Don't just teach them the Bible, and don't just teach them about the person of Jesus, but bring them into this good news of Christ who is crucified for the sins of people just like your children, but he's not on the cross anymore. He died and rose again so that they could be forgiven and brought into his kingdom too. Before your eyes. If, if, if you don't know what that means, if that doesn't connect with you, I want to encourage you, keep coming back to these meetings If you have a Christian friend, keep talking to them. If you have a Bible, keep reading it. If you don't know how to make progress to to come to see this, I'd love to talk with you about that. Kenneth, who did the announcement earlier, would love to talk with you about that. Let's feature Christ for one another as we go through 2024. Second, how can we stir up faith? Well, remember how you received the Holy Spirit. Look back at verse Two with me, please. This passage is a series of questions. Here's a question. He says, verse two, let me ask you this. Did you receive the the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish having begun by the spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, Does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So here's the situation. These people heard the gospel. They got excited about Jesus. They turned from their sins. They trusted in him. They believed and were born again. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Why is it important? Why does he highlight how did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by faith? Well, this is important in the context of what's happening in this letter because it has to do with how you determine if someone's a Christian. Do you know what the the distinguishing mark of a Christian is? For Jewish people, the distinguishing mark of being a Jewish person was maybe keeping the Sabbath or for the 
men having been circumcised. For Christians, we might think of, oh, what is it? How do I know if I'm a Christian? How do I know if someone's a Christian? Well, maybe they, it's going to church or having been baptized. But here, we're being shown that the distinguishing mark of being a Christian, what sets a Christian apart from someone who isn't a Christian is this. You have the Holy Spirit. How did you receive the Holy Spirit. Did you receive the Spirit by works or by faith? Now, he's writing to a whole region of churches, a whole bunch of Christians. He doesn't know every one of them individually, but he knows this. If you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. Do you know that about yourself? Do you know that about the people that you're sitting next to and in fellowship with? We have the Holy Spirit. And so he uses this as an argument to say, look, did you receive the Holy Spirit by doing something, by earning it? And if, if you started off by faith, are you now going to finish what you started by faith, by, by works, by something you're going to do? He says, like, really, have, having begun by faith, do you really think now you can take over and get yourself made perfect and complete? So here's the situation. I want you to think about this because this is very contemporary. These are Christians who got started Following Christ, they made a good start, and now they've lost their way. Some of us could say, yeah, I know that. I've, I've been there. Some of us might be in that place right now. You might have friends that are in this place, children that are in this place. Lots of talk today about deconstructing faith, which is just another way of saying people are still wandering off as they did in the first century. Lots of kids who've grown up in church have Walked away. There's the rise of what's being called the nuns. People, not N-O-N-E-S, not N-U-N-S. The nuns are people who have no religious affiliation. It's an increasingly big segment of the population of our country. I want to I urge you and encourage you. When you have doubts and questions, and you will, if you're sincere about your faith, when you have those, don't ignore them. They won't just go away. Engage them. Get a trusted brother or sister. Meet with an elder. Get your Bible open. Those questions and doubts are important to answer, and they can be part of our progress following Christ and living by faith. What's needed now is no different from what was needed then. As believers, especially when we have doubts and questions, we need a fresh vision of Christ crucified, the saving work of Christ and his gospel. And we need a fresh reminder, we have the Holy Spirit. And we need a fresh interaction with the scriptures that points us to Christ, as we'll see in the latter part of this message. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Remember how you got started. And this raises a vital question for us. Lean into this. Here's a question. Is the Christian life this? Saved by faith, grow by works. Is that how the Christian life works? The answer in this passage and throughout Scripture is no, that's not how the Christian life works. The Christian life isn't saved by faith, grow by works. The Christian life is saved by faith, grow by faith. Saved through the gospel, grow by the gospel. This is why we need to preach the gospel to ourselves and to one another every day. Here's a 
quote from a commentary that I came across this week. The author says, Christians think that we're saved by the gospel, but then we grow by applying biblical principles to every area of life. I've thought that. That's why I appreciate this quote. Christians think that we're saved by the gospel, but then we grow by applying biblical principles to every area of life. But we're not just saved by the gospel. We grow by applying the gospel to every area of life. Do you believe that? If you believe that, do you know how to do that? Because it's not so easy to figure out sometimes, is it? Let me give you an example. How does this work? I was in a conversation with a friend this week. He's a government contractor. He got an email from a client, a government employee. And the, the client said, this is last week, the client said, I, you've got a product. I, I need to get some training on that. And I'd like to do that on Tuesday or Wednesday. So this is just a few days ago. So here's what my friend told me he thought. No way. No. No. I don't have time for this. I don't like this person, and I can't do this, and I'm not going to do this. You know what he told me very humbly, what he really wanted to do? What he really wanted to do is find 30 people and complain about this request. That's what he really wanted to do. And he did reach out to some coworkers to see if he could get some help so that somebody else could do it. Crickets. No help. Okay, Christian. What do you do now? Save by faith, grow by Okay, if the model is grow by biblical principles, here's what you're going to do. You're going to say, all right, self, you're a Christian. You know you're supposed to be nice. You know the second great commandment is to love your neighbor. You know you're supposed to serve. You know you're not supposed to be a complaining whiner like you're acting right now, so go do the Christian thing. And I won't ask for a show of hands, but has anybody ever tried to grow and change and respond to situations like this that way? So here's what happens. If you tried, if you think that way, you can make some progress and you will be a joyless Christian in the process. And the change won't go very deep because all you're doing is applying your willpower and the law to try to change. But change doesn't just happen by your will and the law. You need the heart to change. And do you know what can reach the heart? The gospel. That's why the gospel is so powerful. So let me tell you what happened to our brother. He knew he was in trouble. So he goes to the gym. And he's doing his workouts at the different stations. And in between, he's got his phone. And he's reading the Psalms. And at one of those in-between moments, sitting there reading the Psalms, he has a thought. You know what the thought is? Maybe God wants me to help this guy. Simple thought. But with that thought came a whole transformation of his heart toward his person, toward this person. He began to reflect on how much God has loved him and how merciful God has been to him. And then he, he said he realized, God wants me to be merciful and gracious to this person because I've received all this mercy. And then, instead of emailing this person, he called and said, how can I help? Here's when I'm available. What can I do? What's happening here? You see in our text where it says, 
who, the God who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you? Do you know what I've just told you about? That's a miracle. Right? That's a miracle. That's a heart being transformed by the power of the Spirit because of the gospel. This brother knows he's been loved by God, saved through Christ, and now that love by the power of the Holy Spirit is beginning to work its way into his heart and into his thoughts and into his desires. And instead of just doing this because he has to, because that's what Christians do, he goes out with love in his heart because that's what the Holy Spirit does. This is a miracle. And that miracle is going on thousands of times in this congregation every week. Let's stir up faith by observing that and encouraging that as we see it in one another. Third, how can we stir up faith? Listen to the scripture. Preach the gospel to you. Back to verse 6, please. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, hear this. Verse 8 is just amazing. This is stunning. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Abraham will be summoned as a witness throughout chapters three and four. You can read his story back in Genesis 12 to 25. I want to encourage you to go do that. These uh, stories in, Genesis, in Galatians will make more sense if you know his story. And he's being called upon here for two reasons. First, he's an example of someone living by faith. He believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's back there in Genesis 15. If you turn back to Genesis 15 and verse 6, you'll see that's where Paul is, is quoting, Abraham believed the Lord and it, he counted it to him as righteousness. So here's the question. What did he believe? What was it that he believed that then resulted in him being accounted as righteousness? Well, verse 5 tells us God brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven, number the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your offspring be. So here's what's happening. God is speaking to an elderly, childless man. And he's telling him, You're going to have descendants like the stars of the sky. And Abraham looks at himself and looks at the stars and looks at God and says, I believe you. I believe you. And God counts that as righteousness. God says, I credit you with being in right standing with me, not because of anything you've done, but because you believed my promise. Do you know there's justification right there in the Old Testament? Sometimes people think the Old Testament is salvation by works and the New Testament is salvation by faith. That's not true. The Old Testament is salvation by faith. The New Testament is salvation by faith. Abraham is the model of justification by faith. And so Abraham is summoned here as a model of a man of faith. But second, through Abraham, all the promises of God, these covenant-keeping, saving promises that are going to be culminated in Christ, they're carried through Abraham to the nations. So he's saying here, quoting from chapters 12 and 18, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Do we know if that's true or not? We sure do. 
Because for those of us here who are not Jewish by background, we're those nations. And for those who are Jewish by background, children of Abraham, all of us are by faith. And so these promises were being fulfilled in Galatia and are being fulfilled in our day and in our lives right here. And how did God bring this about? How did this interaction happen with Abraham? We just saw in Genesis 15, it's pretty simple. God spoke and Abraham believed and that's how it worked out. But look back in verse 8. I want you to see this. This is stunning. This, is, this will change the way you read your Bibles if you get this. Look in verse 8. Do you see what Paul says? The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. What? Can you see what's happening here? When Abraham lived, there was no Bible. There was no scripture. He, God spoke to him and Abraham responded. But Paul, who knows what he's talking about, who's probably memorized all of Genesis and much of what we call the Old Testament, he says the scripture preached the gospel to Abraham. What does he mean? Can you see what he's saying about the Bible? He's saying that what the scripture says, God says. And what God says, the scripture says. There's no difference. That's why when you open this book, you hear the voice and encounter the person of the living God. Because this is God's word to us in the same way that God's word came to Abraham, the scripture comes to us. Paul is also saying, that the gospel was being preached all the way back there in Genesis 15 and Genesis 12 and Genesis 18. It was preached beforehand because Christ hadn't come yet, but he would come. So do you know that you can open this book to any page and you know what's there? The gospel, the good news. If you open this book up, the spirit of God will help you hear the good news of Christ being prepared for Christ's coming, looking at him present, reflecting on his work, hoping for his return. The scripture preaches the gospel to God's people. Do you know that? Do you encounter that when you read the word? If you don't know how that works, well, first ask God for his spirit's help. Keep coming because we're going to model how that works in our sermons here. Come to one of the Bible studies that's going on. Ask a friend for some help. This is why we're so excited about reading the Bible around here. It's why we're constantly encouraging Christians to read their Bibles. There we see Christ crucified. In the Bible, we hear the gospel preached to us, Old Testament and new. And oh, how we need this. So here we are, January 7th, the beginning of a new year. Oh, church, let us stir up faith this year. Galatians 2.20 once more. The life I now live in the flesh, the life we live in Northern Virginia on January, 20, January 7th, 2024. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's widen the circle. Can we do this as a church in the life we now live? We live by faith 
in the son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Oh, church, can we set our course at the beginning of this year to stir up faith? This is one of the reasons we've called for a week of prayer and fasting in January so that we might stir up faith, so we might express ourselves in humble dependence to God so that we might be freshly filled with the Spirit, so that we might be empowered to be his witnesses in our workplaces, in our families, to the ends of the earth. We want to stir up faith for the glory of the one who loved us and gave himself for us. Now we're going to transition and stir up faith by having the Lord's Supper together. This is a meal for those who've repented and believed in the gospel following Jesus. If you're not in that place, if you haven't become a committed follower of Christ at this point, we are glad that you're here. We hope you'll keep coming back. We do ask that you not participate in taking this meal, but instead take this time to pray and think about who this Jesus is that we've just been talking about. And for you brothers and sisters, as you prepare to receive this, here's a wonderful opportunity to just slow down and reflect on all that you've been hearing and hopefully by the Spirit's power seeing put before your eyes in who Christ is. I want to encourage you to make this a time of reflection. You can reflect before you come and receive the elements. You can come and get the elements, go back to your chair. And, 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 and reflect some there. And you are free as you come get the elements to return and take them on your own whenever you would like. There are four tables across the front here, two in the sides downstairs, and then two more upstairs as well. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending your son for us. Jesus Christ, thank you for loving us and giving yourself for us. Holy Spirit, thank you for loving us and opening our eyes to all that you've done for us. Meet us in this time of communion, I pray. Amen.